we we can go whenever you know i mean hey the audience always likes watching matt mess with his uh microphone duh that's that's what's uh, putting butts in seats man <laughs> yeah no of course it's your mic Welcome to GTM Unfiltered, hosted by GTM veterans Judge Borko, Craig Rosenberg, and Matt Amundsen. We make talking business fun and sometimes funny. That's because we're always unscripted, unfiltered, and unlike anything else out there. Get ready. Like full transparency, we'll just talk to the audience on this one. Like I love that, you know, as you know, we we just start the conversation and things happen. I think last episode, we talked about football just a little too long. It was a long, it was a long one, yeah. So today we're not going to talk about football. The first thing we're going to do is make sure everyone knows who's who in the zoo. So I'm kicking this off. I'm Craig Rosenberg, and um, I have my two co-hosts with me. Uh, I'm going to start uh, with Judd. Judd, say something to the crowd. Something to the crowd. <laughs> okay, that's Judd. And then Matt, say something to the crowd. Hey, everybody. I'm Matt Amundsen. I'm the CMO of Census, and Craig and I have been friends for way too long. <laughs> It's a sad state of affairs. No, you guys know this. I have incredible retention rates on friends. You got to admit. No, no, I, I agree. I, I agree. Like Judd and I have only been friends for two years and we're like really good friends. I mean, we call each other on weekend. Uh, I, Matt, don't, I mean, dude, it's not, it's not cutting into our talk time. Oh, I'm not I, worried about it. I'm not worried about it. You, <laughs> I, I will open up. Matt and I talk three times in the morning, yeah, afternoon and then night. Yeah. 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 I can open my call log for proof points. I got receipts. No, there you go. But I just, you know, by the way, I did. It is because I do like to talk to people. I mean, it's just, yeah. you know, like it. So if I get that moment, I don't take the silent time. I go, you know, you know, call a friend. I, I always love like he was in Hawaii. He's like, so uh, I'm on vacation. I thought I'd just give you a call. I'm like, what? <laughs> Good to talk to you. I've called both you guys from right field at a little league baseball. Game. Oh, yeah. yeah. Without yeah. a doubt. Without yeah. a doubt. Yeah. Without a doubt. Um, people are like, oh, do you want to go back? I'm like, have you been to a baseball game? Your your son will literally do three things the whole game. Like yeah. you, you have, there's tons of downtime. Um, anyway, okay, ready for this? So I just got off a call. I've been excited to pose this to you guys. I need to frame it in the right way so this uh, you can ask questions. But if you were either starting or advising a Martech company, Ooh. Um, in my opinion, uh, the world of marketing – lacks energy. There's nothing that's galvanizing and driving energy in the market today, right? Like, look, people can make fun of us, like ABM. Oh, Craig, is it a trend? Well, guess what, buddy? That had serious energy. Like yeah. there was such great energy around it. Okay. So now we're in a new world, right? Everything's reset. Like the, we can all admit, man, this, the playbook broke and all this stuff. Okay. So now you're a MarTech company or you're advising one. What would energize the world of marketing right now? What would you tell them to go do? Go. AI. Just kidding. Oh, God. There he is. No, no, no. I'm totally joking. Um, I will say one thing, though, and I think that part of the reason for the, the lack of energy in MarTech, if we're looking at the environment right now, we're seeing more layoffs of marketing, marketing leadership, more CEOs making comments like, I don't believe my marketing leadership understands business. And therefore, there's less investment going into MarTech because they're like, well, I don't even trust your investment decisions based on performance. And I, I, I got to say, how can you weigh performance of a marketing leader if you don't give them the necessary tools and uh, um, leadership level to make the changes necessary to move forward? If I'm running ABM, but I have no say on sales, I can't 
tell you that the ABM program is going to work. So I, I think that part of the problem that we're running into is more and more blame is being piled onto marketing, which means they're sucking more budget out of them and trying to put it towards sales or somewhere else to get the responses they want. That's just my take. And, uh, and how would you make a, a, a splash on here? Matt, that, that, I think that, that's what I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think about for a second because that, that's a great question. And I'm not sure yeah. it's possible in the current environment. Well, Matt has to do it too. So this is, yeah, you're on the spot, buddy. But, but by the way, with the background, yes, like there's, there's like dystopian element right now to be CP, CMO, man. So like there is like a lot of empathy for, for us. I mean, they don't, they don't feel sorry for themselves, but like, so there is that, right. But like now let's just say, okay, but like, what is that theme idea uh, whatever it is that can, you know, galvanize marketing, which it happens and it's awesome. And then gets everyone excited again because it's a new, th- you know, new, whatever that might be. Matt, good okay. luck. I've got a hot take. Yes. We love that. Hot take. And I believe yeah. this is the direction that everyone is going to be going in the next near, near term, like bleeding edge people will be on it and some already are. Uh, and in the next five years, it'll hit massive critical mass, right? It is marketers for a long time have always said like, hey, you know, there's all kinds of stuff happening that we can't see. And it ranges because, you know, we think about like the way we do collection on attribution or engagement, which has largely been uh, client side. You know, did they come to our website? Did they, you know, fill out a form or whatever? With the advancements that are happening in the cloud data warehouse, you can now see all kinds of stuff, all kinds of stuff. Like you can see a history of the way a a company has engaged with you and get a much better view into what a real customer journey is, uh, absent of a person necessarily needing to fill out a form and self-declare. And as ABM has become less of a trend or less of a movement and more of just kind of the standard, even if you're not like, like people clearly now care much more about accounts than they did about, than they used to about individuals. You can see, hey, let's, let's use fictitious company Acme organization came by our website six months ago. And they did some stuff. They looked at some things. Then they read the blog. Then they then two people from that company uh, got scanned at our booth at Dreamforce. Then uh, somebody signed up for the free version of our product. So you're getting that like in addition to the anonymous visitation, you're starting to get like client uh, server side tracking. This person is actually using our product or or signed up to use the product. And then you're starting to see as they come in through either a demo request or an SDRs booked. Uh, time with them, then you start to see the full breadth. So I think what marketers have thought for a long time, which is like, I know this company has been doing much more investigation than what we've been able to track in the past. And as more and more marketers are utilizing the data that's in the cloud data warehouse to inform what's happening, not just what's stored in CRM or what's stored in their marketing automation or their account-based marketing platforms, Marketers are going to be able to tell a much richer story about the level of engagement that they're having with their prospects, with their customers, with people who are maybe mid-cycle uh, uh, or mid-sales mid cycle. So um, it's interesting because it 
sounds a little bit like you're telling an attribution story, but in my opinion, it's more you're telling this longer term customer journey story that I think will help marketers uh, add like some components of attribution to things that they're doing on the brand side, to things that they're doing on like just the awareness side. So uh, I believe if you want to galvanize marketers around something right now, if you want to get them excited about something right now, it's get them excited about the cloud data warehouse because there is so much more information sitting in there than what's sitting in Salesforce. And it allows you to tell the story of the value of marketing in a much more realistic way. Ooh, you, you just teed something up that, that I've been thinking for a while, but I think it, you know, you talk about the customer journey. Yeah. I'm going to say, I, I think that the, the thing that it will, will hopefully make a big difference is more actual focus on utilization of customer journey and optimization mm. of customer journey mm -hmm. versus yeah. we just did it. It's like ICP these days, right? We have an ICP. It's everybody, you know, in tech, right? That's not an ICP. And the journey is treated the same way. It's a do it and forget it. And when I've been talking to a lot of people and, and some I've gotten to test these and we're starting to see some interesting results is creating almost like teams that are focused at different points of the customer journey, not just teams in marketing, but I've got sales, marketing, CS, ops in there operationalizing it and saying, this is a fall off point in our process. Let's get together, optimize and share responsibility for the outcome. So this isn't a marketing problem anymore. This is a corporate business problem that we're going to solve together mm. as a revenue team instead of marketing, sales, see like and doing their individualized pieces. Because normally ownership of the customer journey falls on where in the journey it is, right? Yeah, yeah. But if we all share responsibility for the journey, suddenly we're all working together. It's more of a unification than an alignment. I'm so sick and tired of hearing the word alignment at this point because it's done nothing for 20 years. But I think we need to unify it into a revenue team that actually optimizes the journey. And then all that data is even more powerful. I agree. I agree. I agree. So, uh, yeah, my hot take is, is marketers are going to have to approach something that has felt very nerdy for a while, which is like what's happening in the cloud data warehouse. And they're like, ah, oh, I don't want to go get a PhD in something else because I've spent the last 10 years of my career just trying to figure out this whole marketing automation, now account-based marketing platform plus CRM. And then the very tricky part of making a, uh, you know, ad tech products or just ad platforms work in conjunction with those two. But I believe that once people sort of open their eyes and say, oh my gosh, I had no idea that this information was in here. I had no idea that our engagement was actually three months, five months, six months, 12 months longer than what I thought. Uh, that's going to open up people's eyes in a big way. And they're going to start rethinking about marketing because one of the things that you touched on there, Judd, that I think is really important is when you start looking at this data, there are massive peaks and valleys, meaning you'll see a flurry of activity. It won't be buying behavior. It'll be investigation. It'll be education. And then it'll go dead quiet. And then they'll come back and then it'll be closer to buying behavior. And then maybe they'll request a demo or you'll be able to, to, to actionize a, or to, to action an SDR to go out and, and go book that meeting. Cause it'll look a little bit more like what we saw, you know, from the Marketos and the Eloquiz of the world of like, oh, okay, engagement score high enough SDR, go do this. But can you then take, can you see this early signal and can you shorten that period between their early investigation when they're actually ready to engage by, you know, 
creating a relationship that exists here. So yep. if it's a demo request, it doesn't happen three months later. It happens, you know, two weeks after the fact. Wait, Craig, what's your take? Yeah, Craig, you have a take here or are you just going to judge us for our takes? You can judge. Well, I asked the question. It wasn't a setup. I'm literally sort of playing, um, you know, playing it through my head too. But he, here's what I'd say to what you just said. Uh, no brainer. Honestly, and I, I do want you to admit, I'm going to, I'm like twisting your arm that when we were working together at scale, I was big into putting everything into the cloud data warehouse to, to look at data. And I'm, I'm not sure your reaction back then, but uh, your reaction now, as you could imagine, I'm a hundred percent aligned. Yeah. I love putting it. I love the fact that we can put it into the cloud and actually look at shit because we couldn't do that before. I, I dude, totally aligned on that. I think there's this, and I think there's something big there. Yeah, totally. There's something big there. It feels like it will be the most massive sea change that on the tech side. On the tech side, absolutely. Okay, but then hold on. So I will get you to the business in my. So here's the issue: is that. Um, so in my opinion, what you just described is a no-brainer for doing business. And that's it could be a RevOps thing, marketing ops, I don't care. But like we've never looked at the revenue cycle in the right way. Mm-hmm. Never. never. So we could say we never looked at it in whole. That's true. But what you're describing is like we thought we did because we took leads, meetings, proposal i'm just making that up deal yeah, close right. we, yeah. it was like and we and or renewal those are the big milestones but like what you're what you're describing is really important there i think there's something there okay but here's the thing is that the uh that has to be so i think that's an anchor point in the story that will galvanize marketers the issue is is that um they're you know despite everything we say they're on the hook for pipeline yeah yep and so, uh, so there's two things that I picked up while you were talking. So one is, well, but actually I'm going to ask this a different way. How does what you described help them drive more and better pipeline? Because you should be able to, if you have that information, you should be able to set up a process that shortens the timeline. So right. you should Maybe. be able to right. get earlier signal. And I think, I, go ahead, Judd. I was going to say, I think there's more to it than just timing. Um, because the more we understand the journey and can optimize the journey, the more we can also guide and create a better overarching experience. Agreed. Yes, absolutely. Right. And, yeah. and, and timelines great, right? Like I love your point where it's like, they'll go dead at some point, but if we understand what they were looking at, we can get in front of it. We can shorten that time frame. but there's also the aspect of, okay, new. Well, guess what? Now that I have all this data, I'm understanding how quick certain prospects move through my cycle and I can target those. So there's a whole litany of things that can come from that that I think is really powerful. And like, I I think it's huge. But the big problem is we're asking marketing to learn another skill or another thing to do. And and what this all goes back to me is, and and, and this may be a question after, because I don't want to kill this thing, but marketing right now is all about like new platforms and strategies and things to do while sales and sales tech is more about scaling existing processes. So there's something missing here where we keep piling more on marketing, paying them less, blaming them for everything. And then, but why aren't we doing that in any of the other areas of business? 
So I, I think there's a lot to this tech and having the right data. I think it can also prove out much faster if marketing, what marketing is doing is working or not. Yeah, but that that that's proven not to galvanize the market. Like they all want to do that, but that's like they are looking for hope. Yeah. And so what we need to do is take Matt's story. There's a second layer to it. In my opinion, I'm going to say it for the fourth time. I think what Matt described is no brainer. Like it's it that should be that's tables. Like I know it's not table stakes. Matt will tell you that, but it should be. Yeah. And by the way, it should be early. Like you should go from the get-go on this thing if you're doing any kind of so so and then um, but we we have to be careful because we don't want this to be defensive. Right. We have to make this offensive. Well, what Judd's correct about is it's not offensive, although that I could help with that. The yeah. um, but but then I'll sort of take what Judd's saying, which is like. Um, you know, part of what we need to solve for to really galvanize the market is take what you just described and figure out how to drive the pipeline numbers they need to drive with less, right? And um, so I'll just throw in a couple things. I'm actually going to get Judd's reaction first that Matt said that I was really interested in. One was he said brand and actual be able to look at what the brand's doing using the journey. There's something there. That's like a traditionally black boxed marketing activity. What did you think of that on the brand side, Judd? A uh, couple things. First thing is anything that helps to prove more succinctly that brand drives demand is going to be powerful because investment in brand is generally one of the first things a C an incoming CMO does, right? And every CEO is like, oh, not again, right? Because I also don't understand how much power brand can drive because nobody can quantify it truly, right? Oh, how many more searches with our name in it start appearing? I mean, you, you've got little things that you can do, but ultimately it's not like saying brand leads to pipe. And I think that with enough data and the right types of data, that can become more apparent, which then really energizes the market again because we say now brand people suddenly have a leg to stand on. They become more important. Yeah. And what the work they do actually has more value. Yeah. And then Matt also said the the brand effect on uh, speed, right, and, and cycle time, right. I think that's I think that's there's something there that like because what we're what we like from a theme perspective, we are telling marketers uh, the landing page. You you know, like basically in today's tech world, there should be two calls to action if you have two different uh, go to market models. One is into the product. Two is to the demo, talk to sales. Those should be the two things that you make someone fill out a form for. Everything else, well, events, sorry, that of course. Hey, I'm going to event. But like, so Matt has been like, hey, no, you gotta, yeah, you gotta hit them everywhere, right across all their channels. Uh, same concepts as before. I feel like you take that story and you take it onto LinkedIn, you take it out to the market, you bring them there, they could do whatever they want on your website. And then the call to action is, is that. So there's, we've been, this is actually truly the death of the landing page. It's one of the tracking mechanisms. I know we've talked about it before, but the way Matt describes, you know, the way we can capture activity, I think that's, that's a really big deal to translate into what marketers should do. The biggest issue, I think, Matt, on the, this idea of what you've been trying to tell everyone in terms of how they should do demand creation has been 
um, well, what, you know, what am I going to tell the rest of the organization? Yeah. Right. And, uh, and so I think that's like, we have to, there, there was some cool elements I started to pick up as you were talking and it, that are offensive. So one is, I think that I don't have the answer yet, but the key here is to bring, get the market something new to, yeah. to think about how they do things. Yeah. And then what you're describing is really cool because it's a hundred, hundred percent data driven. Yeah. And then what I would say on the second part of what, like from a sales perspective, that has always intrigued me. Right. And so, which is um, like Judd was like this unified go to market, you know, we've, we talked about it in account base, but we didn't have the ability to look at it. So like Matt, like if you took what you described in the cloud warehouse and we said, once they engage with sales, or let's say sales says, hey, this is an opportunity. We actually don't know all the things they're doing yeah, um, at all. And there, there's probably something incredibly interesting there and real, like truly impactful marketing plays that could be run once we know what's happening in the sales cycle. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, there's things that like traditional marketing automation isn't capturing, like Hey, this person starts, a, uh, we start a sales cycle with this person and then they subscribe to our LinkedIn and then they follow us on Twitter or they follow our CEO on Twitter because they want to hear his thought leadership or her thought leadership, right? Like these are things that we've never tracked before. And I think oftentimes the three of us can think of things through the lens of B2B, obviously, because that's our background, but this is especially true in B2C especially true in B2C. Because one of the things that people don't fund, they, they, because they're collecting data in all of these different places, if they're not porting it into their cloud data warehouse or they're now using tools like Fivetran to start porting it all into their data warehouse, they're going to have a much better understanding of the way their customers are purchasing and why they would repurchase and the types of offers that they're creating for people. Like we at Census spend a lot of time with with retail, right? And there are people, maybe like the three of us, I'll at least just describe myself. I am, you know, a, what people consider a geriatric millennial because I'm 42 years old, but uh, it's weird to have geriatric in my title, but fine. Uh, but I'm still a person who likes to like transact like clothing in real life, right? Like I go to a store and I touch a thing and I try it on and I buy it. I don't like buying online. It's a pain in the ass to me. And most of the companies that have captured my information when they're sending to my personal, it's like buy online, buy this thing, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, but if it's not at my store, I don't want to buy that way. And they generally, these retailers have systems for their brick and mortar and they have systems for their e-commerce, but when you start to join that together in a cloud data warehouse, you're like, here's what I know about Matt. He spends X amount of dollars with us, typically buys these types of items from us. If I'm going to send him information about a new product that I think he's going to want to buy, I should also send him information about where that product is. Does he go to the store in San Mateo? Does he shop often in the store in San Francisco? And like, he's going to want to know because he's going to actually want to go there and buy instead of just buying online because he won't make that transaction. So that's the type of stuff where the cloud data warehouse becomes so much more powerful because like generally these companies, 
in addition to having an online presence, also have an application presence and they do stuff like say what's in store where and like a person is clicking on that button. They're like, oh, I want to buy this item in store. Stop trying to get them to buy it online. Tell them where it is so that they can go to the store and buy under their like purchasing preferences. So it's that type of stuff, especially in the B2C world that I think is going to massively transform the way companies like that go to market. I'm going to say one thing, though, to this, all this data, a lot of people are going to have a kind of a fearful reaction. Yeah. Yes. Right. Like more data, you're going to know more about me, you're tracking me, you're on me. And we've got enough people out there doing that. I'm going to say a couple things. One, all this data already exists. So people getting afraid of more data being created, it's already there. Yeah. And people being better able to utilize it, it's, it shouldn't be a scary thing. It should be a, they're going to create a better experience for you so you actually enjoy the process. Exactly. I would say my experience, especially over probably the last couple of years, buying is actually cumbersome at times. Sure. And sometimes I choose not to even make the purchase because the process I had to go through to get there wasn't worth it in the end. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's where this becomes so powerful. It's not just that we have more data and the company will benefit. I actually believe the customer benefits as much as the company because of it. A hundred percent. And you're seeing that exactly in what was just announced in the last couple of weeks, which is Google and Yahoo essentially blacklisting you if you are at 0.3% spam rate. Okay. So if you're sending more than 5,000 emails a day, 5,000 is, is the tipping point. And if you have a 0.3% spam rate, you will be blacklisted and you will not even be able to send emails to your coworkers. Okay. So why do we hit the spam button? We hit the spam button because we're getting sent stuff that's just not important to us. We're just like, this just doesn't make sense for why am I even on this list? This is spam. I want off of it. But the better experience that we can create, the less likely people are to hit those buttons. And just for context, 0.3% is three people out of a thousand hitting spam. Like that is a pretty low number, right? Yep. So people have to be very conscientious, not just, you know, not just online retailers or e-commerce people with brick and mortar with both, but like B2B brands, like your salespeople are going to have to send a lot less emails. And those emails are going to have to be a lot more uh, tailored to what that person is actually doing. Okay. I got it. Let me, let me take this and um, throw this to Judd. So Matt's description um, of the data that we can capture, uh, does that change your opinion of the future of the SDR or not move it at all? Or like, is there, what, what does this mean for the SDR? I know you think they're dead, so I no. I look bring Mac and bring them back with this data. I, I I say they're dead as they are. I think yeah. that the outbounding they're currently doing is not working. I think that we're in a place where relationship and trust is more important than ever, and the more we can create that through an experience, the better. I think that SDR can work. So don't get me wrong. I don't think it's dead to the point that it can't be brought back to life. But I do think that we need to rethink the way that they engage and how we train them and what data they have that is at their disposal to be able to better have a realistic, good conversation and understand what is important to the person that is on the other line with them or on the other email or however they've reached out. Um, so can it revitalize it? Possibly. But I, I, I also think that if I can, let's say as a full cycle AE, 
create a better experience because every touch point there was from the same person who better understood me and built a trusting relationship. Why wouldn't I want that? Mm. So I get the whole utilization and, and trying to get our reps to focus on things that are at a certain point in the process to expedite the process and allow them more bandwidth. But sometimes I think that they're doing a lot of activity that's not bringing value. And if we can shave that off and then give them the data to be more productive, the reps themselves can do the job and in a better way. So I'm, I'm a little yes or no. I don't know. I think in certain scenarios, SDRs are revitalized with more data, creating a better experience. And I think in some, they're still kind of, you, you got to think about them more as turn them into more of a CS type persona mm. that is there not to book a meeting, but to bring value to the prospect. And I like to say future customer because I don't like the word prospect. So future customer. So that they don't feel like they're being pushed into something. They feel like they're being helped to make a better decision, educated uh, and enabled. And I think that is where they can be really powerful because I don't need an AE to do that. Yeah, that's that, that can be more of like an SDR who, who wears almost a CS like hat and they can create so much value that by the time this this future customer is ready for the next step, the supposed handoff or introduction or, or call or whatever it may be. It is very light touch. It's 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 more enjoyable, and it's, there's a trust of you're going to bring the right person to me for a great conversation. Not like oh, I've got to endure this to get to see the demo. Yeah. yeah. Okay, but so I was leading there because I think the only thing that we've all talked about that is not solved is the fact that a, if you, if we describe all this to a CRO, these are simple folks. They'd say, well, wait a minute, like uh, you, you're, you're describing after they've engaged, like what, what do we do to get them engaged in this really brutal atmosphere? Mm. So I think on the, it's so, cause I, I think we're, I, and by the way, there, there are things that are not different. I mean, an example of that would be, you know, targeted ads. An example of that would be linked, you know what I mean? Like they're, but that's one thing that I think as we talk about like this next generation of revenue uh, process, strategy process tech that we're describing here today. Remember, at the end of the day, like uh, the folks that get uh, that are making the money here on the revenue side are simple people. And they're going to be like, well, how do you get them in the door? So like if we say SDRs are dead, like I know you, you made your explanation. Just give me an example. It's like, well, then. What do I do? Like, if I can't outbound them, what do I do? If marketing can't just send a million emails or buy content syndication leads, what do we do? And then, um, because I, I think once we get them, like what you described is like, just blows the lead nurturing thing out the door, Matt, which is like, that's true journey inspection. And like, there's really great decisions we can make, but like, we gotta, we gotta find a way to get them in the door. And I don't know. Um, I think that's something people are craving for. I don't have the answer because we need to wrap it up into something. Yeah. I mean, I think the answer is what you and I have been talking about for the last year, which is, is, um, you know, instead of the like sort of demand generation, like the, the creation and the capture and what we all need to be striving for is how do we create an experience for this customer that feels driven by them. 
right? Feels driven by them, which is a combination of building a brand, creating awareness, bringing them into the highest, highest, highest level of your funnel, like higher than I know this person's name, but like there are people from this company coming in, allow them to do what they need to do, see what they're doing and think about alternative channels or send really good emails because you really understand what they're doing mm-hmm. and, but way less emails, right? And then hit them in a few different places. And then where do they, where do they hang out, right? This person's interacting with us on LinkedIn. I'm serving them a LinkedIn ad. This person's, you know, coming by the website and, you know, uh, looking at, at this, I'm retargeting them. I'm, you know, I'm hitting that. I know like, the drift bots are sort of like not as fun as they used to be. But if you understand what that person's doing and that drift or intercom bot pops up and says like, Hey, like, I know this is important to you. I thought you might find this valuable, this white paper, this asset, this video, this recording, this blog post, whatever. And people are just like, cool. Like I'm on my own journey. It, you're, you're creating uh, I mean, for a long time, I've I've postulated that B2B would be moving to more of a B2C uh, motion. And like you think about the way we, we, we transact on platforms like Amazon, where we're like, okay, I'm looking for whatever I'm looking for, socks. And it's like, here's all the socks. And then I look at this sock. And it's like, there's more options of socks. It looks like you want running socks. So like, here's more running socks, right? Like that is the type, like we feel like we're in control of that journey, but Amazon knows that they're in control of that journey. And so that's what we have to start creating. And that is less of the SDR reaching out and being like, hey, Judd, I noticed that you looked at this white paper and uh, I'd really like to get 15 minutes on your calendar with a product expert who uh, just happens to be account executive. I but, would just against that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That, that is the dead part. And like, I, I got to tell you, like my inbox suggests that that is still the prevalent motion amongst SDRs. But like, if a, if I was getting maybe from an SDR or just from you know a, a company email address, like, hey, what I you know I'm sure you're interested, or uh, you might be interested in knowing how to move data from Snowflake to HubSpot because I use Snowflake and I use HubSpot. Like, cool. Like that's an interesting thing that I maybe I didn't know about, or like uh, it feels in line with some of the stuff that I've been doing investigating on. So, so I don't think the, the like nurture game changes, but like the way we, uh, milestone the journey through like lead capture form, fill, et cetera, is different because if we can see it all and we don't need them to do that, we can serve it to them in a way that feels like we're not trying to bait them into a meeting and then I think that they can come to the website and to the two CTA example that you gave before, either select to just get directly into the product or they choose that they want to see a demo. Yeah, this is this is really interesting because I'm going to say this. Human psychology has not changed. I don't think it's ever going to. So the way we we get people interested will work forever. But when there's too many options and too many things, and, and, and I, was, I remember I was reading in like Joel's effect, you know, there's a, who's a Barry Schwartz did research, like brilliant psychologist, big TED talk, talked about that there's research that shows too many options shut people down, make Mm. them freeze. Mm -hmm. And so even think like your Amazon example, I don't always enjoy shopping on Amazon because Mm. it's like, 
Oh, you saw this. Here's a hundred options. Oh, you clicked on that. Here's another hundred. And you just go like, I don't even know what to buy or how. And that's a bad experience. Sure. But what I do know is a lot of the basics that marketers are supposed to be good at POV and messaging, they're not happening. Oh, they're not sure. good. Sure, for sure. They're targeting the wrong people. So they're, they're targeting like user personas versus buyer personas. So if the person can't buy from you anyway, it's great you're talking to them. But then when you go to actually talk to the buyer, they don't, they're not even aware of you and they don't know what you have outside of a feature or a function. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that we're going to see a big movement back to some of the basics. Like I, I don't believe that most marketers that are coming to market right now are, are learning the basics sure. and doing well. And we all know, like we'll use sports analogy all day long. The best players get the basics really well. Yeah. They're, they're excellent at it. They're they're superb at those things. And I think that that is an area of focus that needs to shift. We need to retool, retrain, and help them understand who you're talking to, what is a POV, why do you need it, and how should your messaging evolve to speak to the right persona. When those things happen, it still creates a better experience for anyone on the journey. Because I feel like you're having a conversation versus just shouting stuff at me that I don't really have any interest in. Yeah. And, yeah. you know... Uh, that, that's a huge component here. The data, and, and this ties back to the data, it allows me to have the right conversation. Yeah. So if all else fails, having that right conversation, just like we're doing here, right? We know each other. We trust each other because we've had good conversations. They were specific. They were timely. And we got to enjoy them. If I got on this call and started talking about like, you know, China invading, whatever, you know, and we're, you guys are like, what the hell is he talking about? It's the same thing. Yeah. So yeah. that that's where I think some some of this is is really big is that the data will allow for the right targeting and messaging and understanding. And then we just have to get marketing to start doing all the, the things that they should know how to do better. Yeah, I think I think it's interesting. The number one most in demand consulting type in marketing right now, uh, I could ask you, but I think it'd be bad radio. I'll just tell you it's copywriting. It is the biggest lost art in all of marketing. And like we talk extensively the last few few episodes about like what has sales tech done to the modern seller? What MarTech has done to the modern marketer, I think, is got them away from the art of marketing and too ingrained in the science of marketing. Way too ingrained, like in the conversions and in the milestones, the landing pages, how everything fits together so that we can report upon it and away from like the creative side of what makes people actually care and get excited and want to convert. And this is why I love you, Matt. Oh, I love you too, Jeff. I think, I think um, so I think if I'm just listening to the, there's some, well, first of all, Yes. Like there's a back to be like, everyone should go read David Ogilvy and stuff. Like, I mean, yeah, like that's without it. I totally, we didn't need it because demand trumped all. Yeah. If you had a fully mechanized high velocity demand machine. You won totally. and, or a cold call machine or whatever, like pipeline worked without doing like not without winning the brand war. The brand war actually came after you captured enough customers. Yeah. Right. And now what we're saying is like, like, yeah, that, that's just like that, that, that's not where this yeah. is. The other thing is you can't win. Like you are in constant story mode. Like you can't just win. Like you, like Marketo is like lead nurturing. It's like 
you went to Marketo to learn lean nurturing. Yeah. It's like now if you throw that out there, everyone's got it. And it's like, boom, that's gone. You know, yeah. and so you're in this constant story evolution. So it's like maybe the theme is like, and maybe it's not a good word for it, but we it's like this layered go-to-market. You know, we talk orchestrated is really the is the word, but it's been used. And we need to show these like the 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 10 sort of tracks that sort of intertwine and come together on top. And by the way, on the orchestrated side, most of the drawings, and I did a ton of them, were about demand, right? Like classic demand activities and sales SDR activities. And what we're talking about is brand, uh, old school, like bringing it all back, PRAR, uh, you know, so, social strategy. These are things that we talk about. We need to wrap it up in some kind of layered or orchestrated uh, storyline for the market. And then it's all data-driven, the cloud warehouse uh, activities on the bottom. I think there's something we just got to we'll keep working at it, figure it out. I, I will say, though, like it, it, even to what both of you are saying, I mean, I think there used to be the marketing is a black box and we don't know if it works, you know, we, or we can't prove it works, but we know it works, right? Data came along and we had ways to track it. So everybody way over rotated, right? The pendulum swung all the way to their side and said, forget any of the creative, forget any of the content sides. Let's go data. And everybody now like, hey, you go interview somewhere, you better say you're data driven, right? Or you're not getting the job. Totally. And I think that now we're starting to see that pendulum shift back. And, and you know, I always go to this is, you know, I learned this from a bunch of, of uh, PhD chemists who basically said data tells whatever story you want it to. <laughs> and, you know, if your job's on the line, that data is going to tell the right story. So now we have to get the creatives and we have to get the people who can actually understand that data, regress that data and get to a point where we can use data to do the things we did before better. When that comes together and that package occurs, like to your point, Craig, that's when I think, you know, we're going to take that next evolutionary step in marketing and business on a whole, because that will transcend. The whole organization will be unified. The data will drive the outcomes, but the people and their creativity will build the brand that allows them to use that data. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. All right. You guys, that was, um, that was so relevant for me because I literally got off a call and then jumped on this. And, but I would say all of our minds still try to say, we still talk about this going forward because there we've got the elements and we can put it all back into a storyline. I think it's one of the most important things we can do right now for B2B marketers because they're not living well right now. It's no. tough. Yeah, I, I don't mm -hmm. want them to. Um, Quick question before we, before we, we do whatever we're about to do. What are you guys' thoughts on me holding the mic? Well, anything but what we just heard before you talked, which was like, uh, you're using like a 1970s karaoke machine or something. Like it was just, the sounds were unreal. This sounds a lot better and you look really cool. I do, I, I will ask that you wear like a bigger sort of uh, dance fever, Danny Terrio type uh, collar. When like a turtleneck. Like a oh no, no 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 the like, big collars dude lose the turtleneck man like it you look hot in it like I get I feel hot when you're wearing it I know they're nice don't get me wrong I see no you got to get all collared up when you have when you're holding the mic man maybe wear a like a black uh, jacket with it something just really get get jazzy dude get down I'm just gonna say I agree you need the collar but Craig without the glasses I just feel lost 
Yeah, this is this feels like. Should we title this the lost episode? Oh, <laughs> what? So, some more of your wife's glasses. Yeah, I mean, we got the most. We got the most social sharing off my glasses, like of of all time. So, but well, we know what people want now. So, you know, we got to give it to them. Got to give them. The I, had, I had the pair of glasses today. Shoot, I really I messed that up. All right, you guys. Uh, good catching up. Yeah. Hey guys, thanks so much as always. Uh, come see us again. We have more great guests coming, but if worst case, you can listen to us three ding-dongs pontificate and say wonderful things that'll get you thinking. So come be unfiltered with us next time. See ya. Thanks for tuning in to GTM Unfiltered. To hear our innovative insights and strategies, visit gtmunfiltered.com. Be sure to subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Until next time.